Hi, welcome back to the Nutra Champion Podcast. This is the second episode of year 2021. For this episode, I'm honoured to be joined by Professor Ellen Bensusan, one of Australia's prominent complementary medicine researchers that focus on Chinese medicine research and clinical practice. Professor Ben Susan recently stepped down as the director of Nikim Health Research Institute, which he founded about a decade ago. Aside from research, he also lent his expertise to policy work and was the chair of the Advisory Committee for Complementary Medicines of the Australian Therapeutic Goods Administration, TGA, and also served on the National Medicines Policy Committee. Hi, Prof. Ben Susan. For a start, can you tell us more about how and when did you start to dive into the study of Chinese medicine? Look, I, I've been interested in general in alternative science since I was a, a young teenager and I was interested in appropriate technology at the, at the time, but also in alternative approaches to healing and acupuncture and the endorphin theory was very popular uh, when I was younger and that got my attention and, and from there on it just grew. I don't think it was any especially um, serendipitous moment that you know this is what I've got to do. I, I think what's important is that for many years and even now we struggle to treat chronic functional diseases well. We struggle, we're very, very good at acute medicine, um, but in chronic disability, we struggle to treat it well without introducing drugs or techniques that might actually create their own complications. So I think Chinese medicine firstly offered a different way of addressing chronic disease, and I was interested in understanding that better. And that was probably one of the big motivators for me um, to, to investigate further in this area. I studied in Australia initially, and then I went to England and started studying and practicing there. And then I went to China. And in fact, in 1984-85, I was in Nanjing, studying at Nanjing Zhongyi Dashui, Chinese Medicine University. And, um, and that was very formative. I, I, I learned a lot at that time. And, and of course, since then, I've been back many, many times to China and, and working in different units and collaborating with different researchers. What is the reaction that you, you usually get when you tell people that you specialize in Chinese medicine? And furthermore, you practice Chinese medicine for 10 years. I've actually practiced for 25. Oh, I've practiced Chinese okay. medicine for 25 years. And okay. yes, look, it's extraordinary. Um, times have changed. When I first started practicing, <clears throat> the, the um, responses of GPs and, and, and other doctors, specialists, was mixed. You'd get some that were very embracing and interested in what you were doing and others that would try to catch you out and, and, and uh, you know, really had no time for anything other than conventional care. And I think over the decades, that has changed hugely. We are now, um, as you know, our National Institute is in um, the Westmead Medical Precinct in Sydney. It's one of the largest medical precincts in the Southern Hemisphere. And I can honestly say that our um, discussions and interactions with many of the specialists and consultants in the area have, and, and, you know, GPs and others has been superb. They are all so incredibly 
um, willing to engage and interested in what we're doing and the research we're doing to test um, the effectiveness or otherwise of Chinese medicine. Um, they know that many of their patients are using forms of complementary medicine. They need to better understand how these interact with conventional care, whether there's any value in using them over um, pharmaceutical or surgical interventions. So all of these questions have to be answered. And now um, I, I have to say it's an incredibly exciting time to work in the field. Wow, so when you work in the Australia and UK as a um, TCM practitioner, right? most of the patients, are they mainly Asian people? No, no, big variety. So many oh, okay. Australians love to use, many Caucasian Australians love to use um, Chinese medicine and acupuncture. Um, Chinese medicine has was probably slower to grow, herbal medicine slower to grow than acupuncture. Acupuncture was adopted very, very quickly. Through the late 70s, 80s, and, and then 90s, and we did this survey uh, once in the 90s, and I think once again later in the early 2000s, um, there was a lot of interest from GPs. And in fact, um, general practitioners also formed the Australian Medical Acupuncture Society and, um, and uh, you know, developed a qualification for GPs who wanted to practice acupuncture. And there was a lot of uptake. And we knew there was uptake by GPs because, of course, they were allowed to claim, um, provide rebates, I should say, to their patients through Medicare, through the National Health Scheme in Australia. So um, there was a lot of interest. And uh, I think that's probably... Um, diminished slightly in the last decade, um, but I haven't got any more recent data. But you know, there are still a number of GPs, physiotherapists and others who practice acupuncture, even though we now also, of course, as you know, have a national registration board for, um, to, to cover practitioners of both acupuncture and, and Chinese herbal medicine. And that, I should say, was a really um, very big step in Australia because we were one of the first, well, I think we were the first Western country to introduce the statutory regulation of Chinese medicine doctors nationwide, and that was in 2012. And I think that has been enormously um, successful in ensuring that practitioners hold the qualifications that they need to practice, have the education that they need. Why is it that, you know, the perception towards uh, TCM has increased, but in the last 10 years, it seems like there is a slight drop, right? Well, what's, what, what explains the, the, you know, the public interest? This is a really good question, actually, um, Tingmin, and I've often wondered it. I, I, I think through the 80s and 90s, there was a really rapid growth of awareness in Chi of Chinese medicine. More people were traveling to China. There was an opening up of China. People were studying there. And so through Europe, America, Australia, etc., there was a greater upskilling of practitioners as to what could be done with acupuncture and Chinese herbal medicine. And I think that that helped um, spurn the growth of interest amongst consumers and GPs because we were starting to get better skilled at practicing it in, in the community. Um, I think what's happened since is that the research fraternity, the, res the researchers and clinicians in the space have not 
stepped up to the to the demand and the need by the medical profession and by consumers of the uh, evidence that's required to support and justify these interventions. The last 20 years, we've been right across medicine and healthcare, we're much more focused on evidence-based care and care that is robustly pinned back to good studies that, that demonstrate effectiveness of the, of, of the treatment, of the intervention. And therefore those treatments get you know, funding by government, et cetera. I think Chinese medicine still has a long way to go in that regard. And I think generally the whole complementary medicine industry has not seen the writing on the wall as yet. I think they are right now. <laughs> and I think that will change over the next 10 years. Um, but through 2000s, the last 20 years, I think they've been very slow and reluctant companies and industry to invest in research in this area. So coming back to your question, the reason I think to some extent the interest has waned in the last 10 years has been because the industry is not actually keeping up to the requirement by the community that we need to see better evidence. You have established the uh, undergraduate Chinese medicine bachelor's degree program and also the uh, Australia's first uh, master programs in acupuncture and Chinese herbal medicine. So how did the opportunity come about in establishing this institution? Well, uh, look, we're, we're really proud of what we've done at Western Sydney University. Um, we have established undergraduate and postgraduate programs, including masters and PhDs um, in Chinese medicine. And What's really um, superb is that we've been able to, 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 and we've had the support from the university executive to develop those programs alongside a medical school. So we're one of the only universities that I know of in the West, including North America and Europe, that teaches primary qualifications in Chinese medicine and also teaches a Western medical program. So it's a wonderful opportunity to actually have cross-fertilisation, uh, you know, interaction of researchers and teachers and clinicians, which is what we do have. And, um, and I think that's the style that will help develop better integrative medicine and better selection of, of the... Uh, of, this, of the evidence uh, that supports particular techniques. Mm. Uh, you all work very closely with the TGA in setting out our policies to regulate the industry. May have may find out more, more about this? Yes, sure. Um, look, I was fortunate enough to spend about 13 years working um, on various committees in the TGA and in addition to that, um, other um, committees, Australia's National Medicines Policy Committee and, and other departmental committees around complementary medicine. And um, like all countries, we've had our ups and downs in complementary medicine, problems with, with industry and problems around regulation, etc. But generally, as you'd probably agree, the Australian TGA has a, a fairly good reputation uh, internationally and in Asia especially in Asia, and it is because uh, it regulates all complementary medicines as if they were medicines. So um, 
I think there are some very strict standards that we have developed over time. Mm. But at the same time, we've also recognised traditional use claims and, mm. we're, you know, we're allowing those kinds of claims to appear on, um, on medicines, complementary medicines. Yeah. But what, what we're pushing for now through the TGA, and I'm incredibly excited to, to say this, is that the Australian Parliament approved a, uh, a modification to the legislation that allows um, companies to do a clinical trial of a complementary medicine prove its benefit and submit um, key data that the TGA would um, protect and assess and the protection would be for a period of five years. And the benefit of that is that companies would have um, effectively, no other company could copy their formulation and their clinical indication um, for five years. So, this is really important for industry because this has been a barrier for many decades to doing research in herbal medicines. Companies have often said, well, it's out in the public domain. We can't do, we can't protect the intellectual property. If we do a clinical trial, somebody will just copy our product and, and, and you know, put it on the market the next day. Well, the TGA is the first in the world to actually have instituted now as of last week um, this new approach where they will provide a five-year window of data protection for a company that proves its medicine and its claim. And it can make, it can make higher claims. They don't have to be very simple, low-level therapeutic claims. So it's incredibly exciting. I think it will, it will directly address the concern that the community has had that there's not enough evidence in the field. I think it will encourage the industry to invest in this area so that it responds to community desire for evidence. And I think it's incredibly, um, you know, well-placed for Australia to make those changes. Um, it's also simultaneously introduced a two-year um, data protection for new ingredient listings. So if a company wants to identify a new ingredient and, and list it with the TGA, they'll also get two years protection for the use of that ingredient in the marketplace. So again, I think both of these things are phenomenal steps that have taken us a long time yeah. engaging with the TGA to, to, to bring about, but I think we've finally got over the line and I think it'll make a big difference to the Australian community and, and the world at large in terms of proving up some of the medicines. Yeah. yeah. You have set up the Nikkin Health Research Institute back in 2008. Yeah, so uh, why did you decide to set up the institute? Yeah, look, um, Tingming, I guess it's pretty much uh, what I was saying. We've always done research yeah. at Western Sydney in Chinese medicine and complementary medicine. We've always done that, and I think that's why our university executive has been very supportive for us in terms of developing undergraduate, postgraduate courses as well. But in um, 2008, the federal government, the Australian Commonwealth government, and which was a Liberal government at the time, and the New South Wales government, which was a Labor government at the time, they got together and, and um, decided to support the establishment of a national institute to actually do this research work on 
particularly on interventions that sit between the food and the drug interface, uh, on that spectrum of food to drugs. And so we were um, very fortunate to receive um, some seed funding from federal and state government. And we uh, effectively set up our National Institute. We had a lot of support from industry and philanthropy as well. And um, we've grown. So we, we, we were only three people to start with <laughs> when we set it up. And we're now about 70 people. Um, we have about 30 PhD students working with us and many adjuncts and honorary um, professors and so forth. And we will continue to grow. We, we have um, a lot of uh, laboratories, so we do a lot of preclinical work. We're licensed by the Australian TGA to do all the chemical testing and develop certificates of analysis uh, of products for industry. We're licensed by the Office of Drug Control to test for medicinal cannabis and to do medicinal cannabis research. Um, and we also have a lot of um, uh, preclinical pharmacology, pharmacokinetics, bioavailability, that sort of research on the mechanisms of action and dosage studies. And so that's all the preclinical platform. Our second platform is the, is the clinical trials. We do a lot of clinical trials. We usually have between 10 and 20 trials happening at any one time. And they can be relatively small trials or, or major multi-year um, interventions, multi-year trials. Um, and then we also, our third platform is the policy work where we actually translate a lot of the research that we're finding and work with government, the TGA and, and other organizations, WHO, et cetera, to actually help contribute to their, um, to the policy development area. So, and to translate the evidence into practice guidelines. So they're the three uh, aspects, the preclinical, the clinical trials and the translation. Um, uh, three aspects, three platforms of our work. You recently stepped down from the directorship of Nicking. Is this considered a move towards um, semi-retirement? <laughs> yes, it is. Um, I've been very fortunate to be the foundation of uh, director of Nickham for 13 years. Um, it's been an enormously fun journey. And now um, I am still working uh, 30% at Nickham, just doing uh, various research and helping uh, industry relationships, etc. But I'm also working as a consultant to industry, something that I wasn't able to do whilst I was at the university because, you know, I didn't want to mix and create conflicts of interest. So, so now the, the good thing is that I can, whilst I'm no longer the director, I can actually start taking on consultancies with industry. And I'm really enjoying that because I'm able to provide them some of the experience that we've learned over the years uh, in terms of building that evidence base to support um, new products and, and product opportunities. So I think it'll be really exciting and it'll help translate a lot of the uh, work that's needed in the community. You know what are some of your plans when it comes to um, research work? Oh gosh, well, <laughs> I, I, I think there are, there are so many opportunities that we haven't yet captured and I, I guess I've sort of peppered this throughout our conversation. 
we have tended to take traditional claims from TC, from Chinese medicine and or historical claims from Europe or other um, cultures and communicated those directly to patients with modified low-level therapeutic indications on our bottles. But yet, when I think of where the greatest needs are, and I said this at the very beginning of our talk, the greatest need is in, in the management of chronic disease. Chronic disease is, is, as you know, incredibly prevalent. It has huge social and economic burden on society and individuals. Um, but yet, pharmaceutical drugs aren't always the ideal way to treat long-term conditions, long-term arthritis, for example, or, or other conditions. And what we do need to do is better explore uh, traditional herbal medicines for those conditions and better refine them and better develop them, standardise them so that they can be used and yet create less risk to the, to the individual if they use them over a period of several years. And I think this is where the opportunities lie. It's finding those, those um, gaps in clinical practice. Um, and those gaps are everywhere. Uh, I, I won't start delineating them now, but they're, they're absolutely everywhere in terms of patient care. Uh, you know, literally your GP will um, put you on pharmaceutical treatment, but only once your condition reaches a certain degree of severity. Otherwise, there's probably no point to put you on pharmaceutical treatment for any ongoing um, management. So the question for us in complementary medicine is what can we do um, prior to a condition being so severe that it needs long-term drug therapy? Is, are there conditions where we might be able to intervene a little bit earlier with something in this food drug spectrum mm. that actually offers some protection or delay of the mm. aggravation of the patient's chronic condition. And this is <clears throat> what's most exciting in the field and what I'm trying to work in at the moment.